in August of 2019, I wrote this article, Here's Wiki Proof That the Clinton Machine Was Behind the Flood of New Democratic Presidential Hopefuls. And we talked about Elizabeth Warren's daughter and her connection to health insurance and Working Families Party. This article actually went pretty far in terms of viewership. It was a dot connection exercise and I was showing how the DNC is linked to just about everything that Hillary Clinton did and that other people have been doing as well since then. There were negative implications about the Me Too movement, about Alyssa Milano and other people connected to Hollywood. What we found out is that Hollywood talent agencies have their fingers in just about everywhere that the CIA does. One shattering revelation that I put out clear back in 2019 is that Jeffrey Katzenberg funds the Young Turks to the tune of $20 million. And almost nobody else was talking about this. And so I found the few people who were and I started to talk about it myself. I don't know if you've noticed, but I often say ding, ding, ding on my show. And I was watching Jimmy Dore one day and he said ding, ding, ding. And I thought, damn, Jimmy Dore watches my show. He's never acknowledged me, but I am pretty sure that he's followed this story because lo and behold, quite a bit later, like more than a year later, he started to point out that Jeffrey Katzenberg funds the Young Turks. And by now, seemingly everyone is talking about it. So I'm proud of my role, whatever size it may have been, in revealing this scandal. As usual, I'll link to this article in the show notes and you can go back and read it yourselves. Here's what Jimmy had to say about the Young Turks just a couple of days ago. Uh, then Jake tweeted this out. This is uh, from today. So today he just started going crazy. Like tweeting just about me almost exclusively. He, he goes, because we're, I guess, you know, it's really putting, there are a lot of people unsubscribing from his show. A lot of them paying members aren't paying anymore because I've showed people that Jake Uger smears Julian Assange, smears Aaron Mate, is on the take is pro-imperialism and uh, runs interference for democratic politicians instead of pressuring them. And, you know, he's a corporate. He takes money from DNC's biggest donors to fund his show. <laughs> so we did that. It's hurting them. And I did that because they just, they tried to smear me over force the vote. And that was not okay. If you've been a follower of this show for a while, you know how I feel about force the vote. And I think Jimmy did a great thing in getting that started. So everything that Jimmy just said there about the Young Turks is true, and Aaron Maté is also saying things like Jeffrey Katzenberg funds the Young Turks. I don't know if Aaron watches my show, but I definitely watch his, and earlier in this clip, he said it clearly, Jeffrey Katzenberg funds the Young Turks to the tune of $20 million. And he's a reliable source, and so he must think I am too, or whoever I got my information from, he must think they are. What I find very interesting is how long it took for this to become mainstream on the independent media. It's also revealing to see who will come right out and say it. It's out there, and everybody who wants to know about this sort of thing knows about it, so now it's a matter of who's going to tell and who's not. And then you have to ask the question, why? Here's what Aaron had to say about the Young Turk's cowardly coverage and smearing of him. All right, so that's a good example. So what she's saying, this is a classic thing that people like this do, where they will claim to be anti-US intervention, they'll claim to be leftist, while simultaneously, in her case, in the case of this segment, omitting any of the most minimal facts about US intervention, the 10-year dirty war launched by the CIA, the uh, US occupying one third of the country. And of course, he's talking about Syria, 
and his coverage of Syria is boots on the ground. He first started the scuffle with TYT when he made fun of their Russiagate coverage, but Syria is even worse, I think. And Russiagate was absolutely as bad as I thought anything could ever get. Aaron is a very credible source in Syria, as is Richard Medhurst. I want to talk about him in a different show. And they're both saying that the Young Turks are full of shit. So if you're trying to figure out who to watch in the blogosphere, then you should watch the people who are saying the Young Turks are full of shit and that Aaron Maté is right about Syria and Richard Medhurst is right about Syria, not to mention Russiagate. And the murderous sanctions that prevent it from rebuilding. Okay, imagine doing a segment about Syria right now, claiming that you're against intervention and not being able to name or acknowledge the most basic facts about the ongoing U.S. intervention that is making Syrians' lives miserable. That's the first thing. So basically, this is a classic thing where someone will claim to be anti-interventionist while omitting any of the facts about it and then going to proceeding to advance all of the current talking points that are being used to justify U.S. intervention. So it's this like it's this cowardly thing of not wanting to own your actual position, which is simply I'm going to be a useful idiot for imperialism and do exactly what uh, the rest of the established media is doing to the extent that it's talking about Syria at all. Now, here's an article by Aaron that's called McCarthyite Meltdown shows how Russiagate Syria propaganda captured, quote, left media. The following article is republished from Aaron Maté's Substack. On a recent episode of The Young Turks, the self-described home of progressives, hosts Cenk Uger and Anna Kasparian disparaged me in a McCarthyite rant. The apparent trigger was a mocking comment that I had tweeted at Uger in which I described a recent post of his about Israel-Palestine as the worst tweet of all time. I'm standing by that. Cenk said, Israelis and Palestinians kill each other over which sky god they pretend to speak to, and it's politically incorrect to point out there is no human god, let alone one that favors Jews or Muslims. All this violence over the equivalent of which character they like better in the MCU. Marvel Cinematic Universe. Then Aaron pops back with, My god tells me that this is the worst tweet of all time. And I'm guessing the reason it's the worst tweet of all time is because Cenk makes Israel and Palestine equal. They're just killing each other as opposed to apartheid, which is what's really going on there. So Aaron's tweet elicited this exchange. They said Aaron Maté yelled at me. Anna Kasparian. Oh, Aaron Maté. Oh, everyone cares what Aaron Maté has to say. Right, the guy who denies that Syrian children were killed with chemical attacks. Yeah, fuck Aaron Maté. This is me breaking in. People who aren't tools of the establishment all deny that Syrian children were killed with chemical attacks. Because they weren't. Then Jenk says, and gets paid by the... Yeah, fuck you! Anna gives the middle finger gesture. Then Jenk says, and gets paid by the Russians. Fuck who? Fuck you, Jenk. And gets paid by the Russians. If you're still watching the Young Turks... You need to stop. Then Anna says, Anyway, let's move on. Let's end the freaking, I can't, I can't. Then Jenk says, See, that's what happens. Then Anna says, I can't stand, I can't stand that guy. And I can't stand the very intentional disinformation they put out there in regard to disgusting dictators around the world. Anna, you are a disgusting tool of the oligarchs. 
I don't know how you can say what you're saying without revealing that you're getting paid by the people, the oligarchs, who are telling you what to say. Namely, all the people who foisted Russiagate on us. She goes on, the very people they seem to be working for, to be quite honest with you. Let's move on. Jenk, all right, we're done. Anna, disgusting, absolutely disgusting. Then Jenk closes with, if Aaron Mate feels very warm in his Russian blanket, he's like, oh, but the Russian government favors me. He should be super proud of that. Way to go, Aaron. You did it. Holy fuck. This guy has the DNC up his ass so far, there's no way he's ever going to pull them out. And they've been up there since Hillary. He told us that he supported Bernie. And then when it was time to sheepdog everyone into the DNC fold, he said, no, now we need to support Hillary. That's what shills do. And then in his article, he links to the clip. Cenk Uger and Anna Kasparian say that I am paid by the Russians. Cenk says, I seem to be working for dictators. Anna says, and I deny chemical attacks on Syrian children. I don't care about their disdain for me, but I do care about being smeared. I don't know, Aaron, I think I'd feel pretty good if they smeared me. That means I'd actually be listened to a little bit. YouTube's doing everything in their power to make sure I'm not. So, go you. Going on with Aaron. Anyone who's watched the clip will see that their behavior and tone speaks for itself. As for the substance of their claims about me, all are lies. I have never been paid by or worked for the Russian government, much less the Russians, who total 140 million people. Kasparian smear in the form of conjecture that I seem to be working for dictators, to be quite honest with you, is maliciously dishonest. If Kasparian and Uger were really to be quite honest with you and with themselves, they'd come clean about my real crime, in their eyes, being a journalist who does my job. One of the tasks that entails is questioning official narratives put forth by the intelligence agencies and foreign policy wonks that keep U.S. empire running and examining evidence on its merits, regardless of partisan or careerist utility. Ooh. Apparently, TYT has made it a policy to perform neither of these tasks, and far worse, to slander someone who does. Their screed went to air while I was on the ground in Syria, committing wanton acts of actual journalism. Specifically, I was continuing my reporting on a major cover-up at the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons involving a major atrocity in the city of Douma. I was also there to see firsthand the effects of years of dirty war and the brutal U.S. sanctions still strangling that country's economy and citizenry. This was the context in which Kasparian described me as someone who denies that Syrian children were killed with chemical attacks. His tweet from then says, Today I visited Douma, a place that like many others in Syria is in ruins from the 10-year war. Douma is also the site of a major atrocity and pro-war deception, the massacre of civilians by insurgents to frame Syria's government a crime covered up by the OPCW along with the United States, United Kingdom, and France. Let's briefly review the facts to see who's denying what. In April 2018, the US, UK, and France bombed Syria after accusing the government of committing a chemical attack in Douma that same month. But OPCW inspectors who visited the scene days later found no evidence of a chemical weapons attack in Douma. A trove of leaked documents, including the team's suppressed initial report, show that their findings were doctored and kept from the public. 
After this censorship was protested internally, a group of U.S. officials visited The Hague and in a highly irregular move tried to convince the team that chlorine gas was used. The inspectors were then removed from the case and replaced by a group that, with few exceptions, never set foot in Syria. The OPCW's final report, released in March 2019, aligned with the U.S. narrative in claiming that a chlorine attack likely occurred, distorting or outright omitting the countervailing evidence gathered by the original inspectors. To Kasparian, my choosing to report on this scandal, including a trip to Duma to see it up close, apparently amounts to an act of denial. The opposite is true. Worse than the opposite, in fact. The prevailing refusal by U.S. media outlets to cover the OPCW story is one of the most egregious cases of willful blindness and journalistic self-censorship since the lead-up to the Iraq War. They are not only running cover for the warmongering of the Trump administration they claim to loathe, but also abandoning the brave OPCW whistleblowers who challenged the cover-up at great personal risk. Worse, they are denying justice to the Duma victims, whose actual cause of death remains unknown. I don't know about you, dear viewers and listeners, but I'd say the CIA is probably the reason they're dead. I forgot to give you your tinfoil hat warning on that one. Going on with Aaron. I have no training in psychology, but one doesn't need it to detect a high degree of projection behind Uger and Kasparian's fabrications. A quick look at TYT's journalistic output and who finances it is instructive. While falsely suggesting that I work for disgusting dictators, Kasparian's resume includes a promotional gig at the Munich Security Conference, an annual gathering sponsored by NATO governments and the weapons manufacturers that profit off their perpetual warmongering. Kasparian, in her own defense, has claimed that she merely covered a conference, but her coverage consisted entirely of cheery PR videos on topics such as the role of NATO in attempting to keep peace internationally. The NATO peace zone, in air quotes, of post-2011 Libya did not garner a mention in the 18-minute segment. Jimmy Dore has mentioned this next part on his show. Kasparian also conducted a friendly sit-down with Madeleine Albright, the former U.S. Secretary of State. Somehow, Kasparian's self-proclaimed disgust with those who launder the killing of children didn't impel her to even raise Albright's infamous declaration that killing hundreds of thousands of Iraqi children was, in her view, worth it. In fact, Kasparian went so far as to declare that she was delighted and saw it as an honor to interview the admitted child murderer. Here's the good part. As for Uger, his through-the-teeth lie that I am paid by the Russians are even more risable given his own funding sources. In 2017, DNC mega-donor and Hollywood mogul Jeffrey Katzenberg led a round of investments in TYT worth $20 million. Thus, after this purportedly progressive outlet took boatloads of money from the neoliberal Democratic Party elite, it is also now parroting their favorite McCarthyite smear tactic. Dissenters and political foes must be paid by the Russians. I have my guesses as to where Uger is coming from. Inwardly uncomfortable with the awkward position he's put himself in, maintaining his image as a Bernie Sanders progressive while wrapping himself in the DNC cozy quilt, he has to place the shame somewhere. A journalist that eschews an establishment security blanket and thus has the liberty to stay true to principles is as good a target as any. TYT's meltdown, immature though it was, wasn't just a case of two individuals going off hinge to slander a perceived foe. 
Uyghur and Kasparian's rank McCarthyism falls squarely in line with the chauvinist, militaristic, Russiagate-driven worldview that has virally laid waste to intellects throughout left liberal media in recent years. With a very few exceptions, I might add. Driving this ideological plague has been an elaborate propaganda campaign aimed at Western audiences with the specific goal of demonizing the two states invoked in the TYT rant, Russia and Syria. Following the same playbook used for Iraq, Libya, and any other target of U.S. hegemony, this campaign reduces entire states and their populations to a cartoonish portrayal of their leaders while justifying antipathy or outright aggression against them with cynical appeals to human rights and democracy. What sets the Russia and Syria cases apart is the extent to which this disinformation effort has succeeded in winning over the progressive wing of its target demographic. In the case of Syria, the dominant narrative sold to the world, a genocidal dictator crushing a peaceful national uprising, was so persuasive that I was once swayed by elements of it. In reality, as anyone can see by looking into the facts, Syria has been, since 2011, subjected to one of the most expensive, destructive, and murderous dirty wars in history. The dirty war on Syria has nothing to do with the Syrian protesters who rallied for democratic and anti-corruption reforms under an authoritarian government at the outset of the Arab Spring. Those demonstrations were co-opted and exploited by outside powers, the US, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Qatar, the UK, and Israel, who simultaneously launched a criminal, likely pre-planned war aimed at collapsing a disobedient resistance axis state. The facts are now readily available to anyone willing to absorb them from the most mainstream of sources and the admissions, public and private, of the principles involved. As the official story goes, weapons funneled by the U.S. to Syria under the CIA's Timber Sycamore program were supposedly intended for vetted, so-called moderate militias fighting to bring freedom and democracy to Syria. No one has debunked this myth more succinctly than the current Oval Office occupant. In a characteristically off-script remark to a Harvard audience in 2014, Joe Biden acknowledged that there was no moderate middle in Syria. Instead, Biden said U.S. allies in Syria had poured hundreds of millions of dollars and thousands of tons of weapons into anyone who would fight against Assad except that the people who were being supplied were al-Nusra and al-Qaeda and the extremist elements of jihadis coming from other parts of the world. This, Biden explained, is why our allies in the region were our largest problem in Syria. What my constant cry was that our biggest problem is our allies. Our allies in the region were our largest problem in Syria. The Turks were great friends, and I have a great relationship with Erdogan, which I just spent a lot of time with the Saudis, the Emiratis, etc. What were they doing? They were so determined to take down Assad and essentially have a proxy Sunni-Shia war. What did they do? They poured hundreds of millions of dollars and tens, thousands of tons of weapons into anyone who would fight against Assad. Except that the people who were being, who were being supplied were al-Nusra and al-Qaeda and the extremist elements of jihadis coming from other parts of the world. Holy fuck. He said it almost sane there. 
Biden soon apologized for offending his Gulf and Turkish allies, but his only error, aside from failing to name-check Qatar, was omitting the fact that the U.S. was their willing partner, continuing the working relationship of prior dirty wars in Nicaragua and Afghanistan. The Syrian government, backed by Russia, Iran, and the Lebanese resistant group Hezbollah, was ultimately able to defeat the U.S.-backed sectarian Contras and regain control of about 70% of the country. But the damage was incalculable. Hundreds of thousands of dead, millions displaced, industrial and agricultural capacity decimated. A state that once enjoyed some of the highest medical, educational and food production levels in the Middle East was left divided, hungry and impoverished. And you really need to go listen to Richard Medhurst if you want to know more about this. Since their military defeat, the U.S. and its allies have imposed another of their interventionist pet policies, strangling the Syrian population with economic warfare. As Syria now faces a famine and tries to rebuild, the U.S. military is occupying one-third of Syria, depriving it of access to a resource-rich region containing vital oil reserves and wheat, as U.S. officials openly boast. In the summer of 2020, the Trump administration imposed a new round of crippling sanctions under the bipartisan Caesar Act. These sanctions explicitly target reconstruction and have, in the proud words of Trump envoy James Jeffrey, crushed the country's economy. And that, dear viewers and listeners, means crushing innocent children. Rather than challenge their own government's decade-long military and ongoing economic terror campaign in Syria, a coterie of Western academics, media personalities, there's the Hollywood connection, and journalists have emerged to champion it and to dismiss any heretics as dictator-loving Assadists. In the name of defending the Syrian revolution, these voices promote Western chauvinism and whitewashing its catastrophic consequences for the Syrian people. The claim of democracy promotion is cruelly absurd. No Syrian voted for the NATO states and Gulf autocracies who, acting as a global dictatorship, arrogate to themselves the right to decimate a foreign country by funding, arming, and training a vast army of jihadist proxy militias. To obscure this reality, leftist Western apologists for the Syria dirty war have gone to great lengths to erase the critical U.S. role. Scolding what he called the anti-imperialism of fools, the London-based academic Gilbert Achkar recently declared in The Nation that Washington kept a low profile in the Syrian war. In Achkar's rendering, the U.S. began stepping up its involvement only after the so-called Islamic State surged and crossed the border into Iraq, after which it began restricting its direct intervention to the fighting against ISIS. Achkar's account of Washington's low profile would be news to its policymakers who targeted Syria with one of the costliest covert action programs in the history of the CIA. That's from the New York Times. Drawing on a budget approaching $1 billion a year. That's the Washington Post. Citing a knowledgeable U.S. official, David Ignatius of the Washington Post reported in 2017, the many dozens of militia groups given many hundreds of millions of dollars by the CIA may have killed or wounded 100,000 Syrian soldiers and their allies over the past four years. Your tax dollars at work. While it is true that the Obama administration bombed ISIS-held areas in Syria, it is also true that the U.S. deliberately leveraged ISIS's advance for its regime change goals. 
This was privately conceded in 2016 by then Secretary of State John Kerry, who told a group of Syrian opposition activists that the U.S. sat on its heels as Daesh, ISIS, was growing in strength and even threatening the possibility of going to Damascus, the Syrian capital. We were watching, Kerry explained. We saw that Daesh was growing in strength and we thought Assad was threatened. U.S. indifference to the threat of an ISIS takeover, Kerry added, is why Russia went into Syria in 2015, because they didn't want a Daesh government. If there is anything low profile about this costly, covert, ISIS leveraging and murderous CIA-led dirty war, it is only how basic facts were kept from the Western public that funded it, thanks in no small part to propagandists like Achkar, who continue to give it progressive cover. Achkar's downplaying of Washington's role is perfectly in character. Along with whitewashing the dirty war on Syria, he had previously urged leftists to fall in line behind the NATO destruction of Libya. The fact that an unrepentant apologist for two of the most murderous Western interventions in recent memory can feel entitled to lecture those who did not go along, let alone be published in a prominent publication, shows the extent to which the Syria propaganda campaign has normalized Western chauvinism and invisibilized its destructive consequences on the targeted population. Among the campaign successes is the fact that now, with the U.S. squeezing the Syrian people with the world's harshest sanctions, there is no major organized U.S. campaign to stop it, nor even any major progressive outlet willing to cover it. Democracy Now!, which so heroically covered the devastating U.S. sanctions on Iraq in the 1990s, has been as silent on the U.S. sanctions on Syria as it has been on the OPCW scandal. The same with The Intercept, which has yet to acknowledge the OPCW whistleblower's existence and last covered the Caesar sanctions while mocking its critics in Code Pink more than two years ago when they were first proposed. Here's a tweet by Rania Kalek. This is pure cruelty and there is no movement to stop U.S. sanctions from ruining ordinary Syrian lives, sanctions with the sole purpose of punishing the country for beating off U.S. and Gulf-backed death squads. After a decade of war fueled by a Western regime change scheme, 60% of Syrians are food insecure. Over 1 million are unable to survive without food assistance. Yet Western policymakers continue to punish the country with starvation sanctions. That's how manufacturing consent works. Ask Caitlin Johnstone or even Noam Chomsky before he became a sheepdog. Here's Aaron again. The manufacturing of consent for the dirty war on Syria set the stage for and undoubtedly directly influenced the Russiagate mania that consumed U.S. politics beginning in 2016. That's where it came from. Already before then, Russia under Vladimir Putin was reinstated in Western eyes from a potential client state to, in Mitt Romney's words, our number one geopolitical foe. Democrats mocked Romney for this at the time, but his decree has since become liberal orthodoxy. Fittingly, Anna Kasparian's aforementioned interview with the ex-Secretary of State is titled, Madeleine Albright, We Owe an Apology to Mitt Romney. Wow, Anna. As the late scholar Stephen F. Cohen, may he rest in peace, tirelessly documented, the reasons for Western hostility toward Putin all trace back to his insubordination to U.S.-led hegemony, curbing U.S. ownership in Russia's oil industry, rebuking U.S. militarism at the 2007 Munich conference to the outrage of front row audience member John McCain, easily defeating Georgia in a 2008 military conflict and humiliating neoconservatives like McCain who had egged it on, 
resisting the U.S.-backed Maidan coup and seizing Crimea, thereby weakening neoconservative designs for a NATO state on Russia's borders, and just as egregiously intervening in Syria on the side of the government to help defeat the U.S.-backed Wahhabi death squads because, as John Kerry admitted privately, Russia didn't want a Daesh-ISIS government. This background set the stage for the demonization of Russia that went into overdrive in 2016 when Russia allegedly waged a sweeping and systematic influence campaign to install Trump in the White House. The motives for Russiagate are by now easily discernible. Blaming Russia and a fictional collusion plot recused Democratic neoliberal elites from having to soul search following their humiliating defeat to Trump. Thus, they evaded any disruption to their cherished power and privilege within the same dysfunctional political system that made his improbable win possible. Meanwhile, Democrats' partisan self-interest converged with that of powerful national security state who saw the loudmouth Trump as an unseemly steward of the global U.S. war machine. These officials also sought to stigmatize the appeal of Trump's 2016 campaign's anti-interventionist messaging as disingenuous as that rhetoric was. Trump's frank admission that the U.S. dirty war on Syria had empowered al-Qaeda and his call for cooperating with Russia were acts of heresy to a bipartisan foreign policy establishment fervently devoted to a dirty war in the Levant and a new Cold War everywhere else. For its part, a U.S. media machine that had given candidate Trump hundreds of millions of dollars worth of free advertising was more than happy to blame Russian bots and hackers for the candidate they had helped elevate to power. The prolonged ratings bonanza ensuing from the bad spy thriller that was Russiagate was an irresistible bonus. As a final perk, all of these centers of power were more than happy to focus endlessly on Russian oligarchs as opposed to the U.S. oligarchs who run both political parties, the media networks, the major corporations, and Congress. As with the Syria dirty war, the Russiagate disinformation campaigns have produced an endless line of progressive adherents falling over themselves to promote the official doctrine and even scold the heretics who failed to toe the line. And Cenk and Anna, that's what you do for a living. The result was a disaster for the left. Russiagate massively expanded the liberal embrace of the CIA and U.S. national security state. Under the guise of resisting Trump, intelligence officials were heralded as heroes and their imperial worldview elevated as sacrosanct. The nation's major progressive outlets, The Intercept, Democracy Now!, Mother Jones, The Young Turks, covered themselves in ingloriousness by parroting the evidence-free claims of U.S. intelligence officials and chasing the plot twists peddled by unhinged Trump-Russia conspiracy theorists down their myriad rabbit holes. Donald Trump and the Republicans were thus handed the massive gift of a resistance drunk on moronic collusion fantasies, distracted from challenging the GOP's actual policies, and humiliated when the Russia conspiracy theory ultimately collapsed. The sapping of liberal political energies in the Russiagate era is perhaps best exemplified by the fact that more people turned out to protest Trump's firing of Attorney General Jeff Sessions, a perceived threat to Mueller, then showed up to challenge the Trump Republican tax bill, a mammoth upward transfer of wealth. Not only did Russiagate undermine a genuine resistance to Trump and prop up the neoliberal wing that he had humiliated, but it was even wielded to undermine progressives' best hope. After tacitly endorsing the Russia-phobic hysteria of his 2016 neoliberal nemesis by never challenging and catering to its core premises, 
Bernie Sanders was rewarded by having Russiagate deployed to help sabotage his campaign in the 2020 primary. And he took it like a man, didn't he, folks? I'll rest here for a few seconds of silence for the man Bernie Sanders used to be. Or at least I hope he used to be. On a personal note, it was frustrating to see longtime colleagues and friends fall either silent or even get duped by the Russiagate disinformation campaign. On the other hand, I was more than happy, honored in fact, to be one of the handful willing to challenge such a transparently moronic and dangerous scam. I can't muster even a grim sense of smugness when it comes to Syria, though. Having just returned from a brief trip there, the relentless propaganda only compounds my outrage. Visiting Damascus and surrounding towns, I was able to glimpse firsthand the destruction and sadism that's been unleashed on this beautiful ancient country and its besieged civilian population, including the odious and ongoing sanctions regime. I'll have more to say on Syria in this space soon, and we'll stay tuned, Aaron. The damage to Syria from the U.S.-backed dirty war is incalculable, making its continued whitewashing and the calumnies spewed at those who dare call it out all the more despicable. The fact that self-described progressive outlets can still cling to Syria-Russiagate propaganda that was not only destructive, but explicitly used to undermine causes that they claim to champion also speaks to the power of the U.S. propaganda system and the malleability of opportunistic media personalities seeking to advance within its confines. In this context, while the hostility of Cenk Uger and Anna Kasparian toward a dissenting journalist may be unpleasant to watch, it is very easy to understand. Ka-ching!